Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Unsurpassed Freedom of a Jesus First Life, and it is part of the Don't Just Be a Christian Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Okay, um, we're going to get back into our series today, uh, Why Just Be a Christian? Uh, someone said that freedom, or don't just be a Christian, uh, someone said freedom is the right to do what I want. Uh, not the right to do what I want, but the power to do what I ought that's what Jesus is really talking about in the scripture that I'm going to read in a moment in Luke chapter 14. In uh, Luke chapter 14, he sets the stage in verse 25 when he writes these words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, now I can tell you from personal experience that leaders love crowds. I can tell you that. We feel validated when you show up. I was just, uh, all day yesterday, I was just rejoicing that uh, 49 guys signed up for breakfast. And uh, we, so we, the head count was like 45, I don't know, uh, something like that. But between, between 45 and 50 guys coming for breakfast, I mean, that feels great. So uh, when, 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 when we talk about crowds and loving crowds, that's okay to love crowds. Jesus loved crowds too. Jesus drew big crowds. He did things to draw crowds. He drew big crowds. So this is important to note. This large crowd, was, we get validated by large crowds, but Jesus understood something that I often forget. Drawing a crowd is not the same as building a church. A crowd is a collection of seekers, saints. A church is a congregation of committed followers of Jesus Christ. In a word, a disciple, Jesus said, I will build my church. Crowds are good because when the crowds show up, then Jesus can deal with those people and those, that crowd can get a decision whether they want to move from being a crowd to being a disciple. I was a bit put off by Luke 14 when I simply saw it, though, and you'll see in a minute what I'm talking about is Jesus making a lot of unrealistic demands. But then it really started making sense to me when I saw it as, really, uh, as it really is. Now, notice again that Jesus said, uh, or, or the Luke, the writer of, of the book of Luke, said large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So these people, they're, a lot of them, their, their spouse was at home, their kids were at home. A lot of them, they had a business that they had uh, maybe closed down for, the, for a few days. And so they had, they had this world that was separate from what they were doing when they were run, walking around with Jesus. And so uh, th- this, these crowds were traveling with Jesus. So Jesus is not making a lot of these weird demands like it sounds like it's going to sound like in a minute. These are people who wanted to hang with Jesus and go where he went, Right? So Jesus was really saying in so many words, I really want you guys to be able to go where I'm going. 
I want you to be able to hang with me. I want you to go where I'm going, but I want you to know something. It's going to get difficult. It's going to require you not merely to enjoy me. It's going to require for you to become like me, to embrace my priorities for yourself. It's going to require for you to begin to think the way I think and feel the way I feel. You see, I'm going to be a difference maker in the world. I'm going to be the redeemer of the world. I'm going to be the redeemer that the world desperately needs. I'm going to open up places for people to be blessed and and their lives to be changed. I can only go where I need to go and be who I need to be because I am free from what constrains most of you. Got it? I'm free to love, free to be available for the purposes of the kingdom of God. I'm free from the demands of controlling relationships, personal rights, and the power of riches. I have liberty in those three primary areas where most people lose their freedom to be what my Father's kingdom needs them to be, and those would be the arenas of relationships, rights, and riches. One of the ideas that the church for all of time has made front and center is put Jesus first. Any church you go to probably, if it's a a Christian church, an evangelical Christian church, we're going to talk about putting Jesus first, but I'm afraid it's been preached as a major guilt trip. I'm afraid it's been, uh, uh, you know, Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived as a human, died a horrible death on the cross. The least you can do is pay your tithe and serve in the nursery. You're making Jesus feel bad, you know. You're making Jesus feel bad. Shame on you. You're making Jesus feel bad with all your mediocrity and your self-centeredness. But Jesus didn't say anything like that. Jesus wasn't demanding something from them. He was defining something for them. Here and in many other places in the scripture, he makes it clear that he is calling us to this opportunity to be like him, but it's going to cost us something. In Romans 8, 28, one of the most oft-quoted verses in the Bible and misquoted verses in the Bible, it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So Romans 8, 28, and you'll hear various versions of that. People will say things like anything that happens. Well, you know, God has a reason, you know, so they're quoting that verse. That's the verse they're thinking about. God has his reasons. We know that, but it actually says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, Romans 8, 29 is one of the least quoted verses in the Bible. In fact, you Many of you in this room probably know verse 28, or you know about it. But I bet if I had a show of hands, there would be only a few of us who knew what verse 29 said. But verse 28 doesn't stand alone. It has to go with verse 29. Verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine that we might be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, as, so we need to read those two together. All things work together for good because I'm called according to his purpose and I love him to conform me to his image. So everything happens to me to make me more like Jesus. So, so Jesus is saying to this crowd that was traveling with him, okay, he wasn't, he wasn't saying, we're going to see it in a minute, we're going to read it in a minute actually. He wasn't saying go home and sell everything. He wasn't going, saying go home and divorce your spouse. He wasn't saying, uh, uh, rehome your kids. He wasn't saying any of that. 
He was saying to them, okay, you people want to travel with me, and you want to go with me. I want you to know that down the road, you're going to run into some choices where you're going to have to decide whether you're going to put me first. And it's not going to work if you don't. What God wants to do in the earth through you, like he wants to do through me, will not work if you put yourself, even your family, your money, your career, if you always have to put them first, this kingdom life won't work. Amen. Now we can, y'all rise for the dismissal. We just preached the whole sermon. Let's read the text. Luke, I usually don't wait this long to get into the text, but I did it today. Luke 14, 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling. Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first step down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, what is hidden at first glance in that what Christ is calling us to is what the Bible calls in another place the glorious liberty of the children of God. Freedom, he's talking about freedom from a world that's passing away to the world that will permanently replace it, the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, Moses Estevaz preached to us yesterday, to talk to the men here yesterday morning, and he talked about his uh, father, who was a businessman in Portugal, and who was a successful businessman in, in Portugal, but yet he talked about his last, last few months, or maybe even a couple of years, he was in a nursing home in Portugal before he just passed away a few weeks ago. And he said in those weeks in the nursing home, the father didn't talk at all about his business. He read his Bible constantly, and he talked about the people who was praying for the two things that really mattered in his life and that were important were the things he talked about at the end, the word of God and people, the two things that will last forever. So Jesus is not giving us horrible news here in this passage. Jesus is telling us, order your life according to what will last forever. Order your life according to what really matters the most. Jesus first a Jesus-first life is what I'm calling this message. A Jesus-first life is when everything, everyone and everything is in the right order. Now, Jesus says, here's the confusing part of this passage. There's a couple of confusing parts of this passage, right? The first is that Jesus says, if you, don't, if you come to me, you must hate your father and your mother. 
and your wife and your children, your brother and sister. Now, some of you, that's fine. You're all set. You say, I got that down. I hate them all. <laughs> well, you'll be disappointed to know that Jesus was, he was using a, a literary technique called hyperbole, which means exaggeration. Because he needed to make a strong emotional point, he was exaggerating the point. It was kind of, you know, if, if you take that literally, then you also should, should have all, be all, you should all only have one hand and one eye. Because the scripture also says if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. I'm sure all of you have been offended by your hand and your eye. So you, you should all be one-eyed and one-handed congregation if you really didn't understand hyperbole and exaggeration. And you see this throughout Jesus' teaching. You see it throughout the scripture, matter of fact. St. Augustine, though, really helped us many, all those centuries ago, when he really set the stage for a lot of what we believe, how we see the scripture today. Some of it, I agree with St. Augustine, some I don't agree so much, but, but some of the stuff he said was really good. St. Augustine defines sin as, as disordered loves, and virtue as ordered loves. He said, and I'll quote him, Living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less. If my ministry or my career is more important than my family, my loves are disordered. If I love myself more than my spouse, my loves are disordered. If I value my spouse and my children and their happiness more than Christ or the prosperity of the kingdom of God, my loves are disordered. When parents put their children and their happiness before the kingdom of God, it damages the kingdom of God and it damages those children. You know, I want to stop and talk about that for a second because I think it's really important. Because I grew up with parents who grew up in the Depression. And uh, my, uh, my parents grew up, and as I heard their stories as a child, and I saw in ways they were damaged. They were wonderful people, by the way, but in ways they were limited and damaged because they grew up in an era when children were ignored and abused. And both of them went through various degrees of real abuse. My dad was like 11, 12 years of age, and he had 10 brothers and sisters, and his father passed away. And my grandmother, who, by the way, was a very stoic individual to start with, but she just did some very pragmatic things to survive, and she did literally what they call farming out your kids. And so, like he's 11, 12 years old, he gets sent off to live on a farm somewhere, and actually lived in a barn where the people would, if, if, he, if he would eat the vegetables that he was picking, while he was picking them, they would beat him. My father never got over those experiences. So he grew up in an area, they grew up in an era where children were, were seen and not heard. You know, they had no voice. It wasn't good. And, and also we see in that era, also children were made to work in factories. And it was horrible, horrible way to treat children. And then, you know, like we do in society, we, 
we apologize and we're sorry and then we go too far with our apology. So what happened to the next generation is we were going to make sure our kids never suffered. We're going to make sure our kids' voices were always heard. So we took this thing and children became, families became child-focused. The, 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 the uh, 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 child idolatry has become a thing in the 21st century. And the, the 20th, uh, end of the 20th century and begin 21st century, child idolatry has become a thing. And I've seen it so many times when people would thwart the purpose of God because their children weren't happy. They would walk away from the purpose of God. They would, they would make their kingdom decisions like how they were going to serve in ministry, where they were going to serve, the church they were going to be a part of to serve based on whether their children were happy. I'm telling you, Jesus says, that's a disordered love. Put me first. What does Jesus want? Jesus was calling his, his audience that day to be kingdom builders first, home builders, hobby and pleasure seekers second. Um. I was thinking as I was working on this, Steve, I was thinking of you. Uh, Steve has a love in this life. I just want to tell you. I, I, should I tell him what I call it? I, it's probably, you, you always seem to get offended when I say it. But, but uh, uh, he, he, has, he has, I call it his Mansfield mistress. Because it's a, it's a couple of airplanes that he has in Mansfield. And if, if Steve, if you can't find Steve... He's either flying his plane or he's polishing it. I, got, I talked to him yesterday, so you're going to fly today? No, no, today's a polishing day. He loves his plane. But you know what? You know what he does every Saturday morning? He, I know he'd like to start his day in Mansfield. He starts his day leading a men's Bible study downtown Norfolk. Sunday morning, Steve's here at 8 o'clock, so, and he's here till nearly 1 o'clock. Then he goes and sees his Mansfield mistress. <laughs> now, he loves, his, he loves his joy, too. You talk to him for any amount of time, you know he loves his wife. I think she's slightly ahead of the airplane, right? <laughs> That's what it looks like to have your loves ordered that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to hate your life and love Jesus. That's what, it, it, what Jesus meant was that your love for him and the kingdom would be so great that your love for your spouse, your kids, your money, your career would look like hate in comparison. That's what Jesus was saying. Isn't that, isn't that kind of delightful? Doesn't that feel better? Some of you are all disappointed because you, you just wanted to hate your spouse. <laughs> no. In fact, let, let me give you a little insight here. The word hate, the, the word hate is the Greek word lima. And it, it, it has one meaning, which is uh, to treat with hostility and attack. Now, read the rest of Scripture. You know, the Lord never permits us to treat even our enemies with hostility and attack them. But it has another meaning which means to decrease, to, decrease in, to, to decrease in status. So, so that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying. If, if you have put your spouse first above the kingdom of God, 
If you put your career before the kingdom of God, if you put your own self and your own appetites, you know, then, then he's saying, I want you to decrease the, the status of all those things. You people that are following me around from place to place and you love my teaching, you love my miracles, and you, you, you wanted this kingdom I'm talking about, you're going to go home and you're going to forget that this kingdom is the most important thing. And you're going to get your, you're going to get your loves all disordered and, it's, and, and you're not going to serve those loves. You'll serve those loves better if the kingdom is first in your life. You'll serve those loves better if you're under the control of Jesus. You'll be better to your wife if you're under Jesus' control. You'll be, better, you'll be better to your employer if your life is under Jesus' control. You'll be better to your kids and better for your kids if your life is under the control of the kingdom of God. I want you to know this kingdom life is right because it's right. It's right because it works. It's the best way to live. Amen? It, it, this is not just a sermon for Christians. This is a sermon for humanity. This is a sermon for the whole world. This is a doctrine for the whole world. The whole world would be happier, more at peace, more joy, more all the things that you want if they would live this way. And I, good, the good news is ultimately they all will. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen. Now, we're not going to get into eschatology today. Uh, let, me, let me give you a uh, Tim Keller quote. I always have to quote Tim Keller in every sermon. It's a, it's a rule. According to the Bible, idolaters do three things with their idols. They love them, trust them, and obey them. Trusters of money feel they have control of their lives and are safe and secure because of their wealth. Idolatry also makes us servants of money. Just as we serve earthly kings and magistrates, so we sell our souls to our idols. Because we look to them for our significance, love, and security, trust, we have to we have, to have them. And therefore, we are driven to serve and essentially obey them. When Jesus says that we serve money, he uses a word that means the solemn covenantal service rendered to a king. See, the liberty of Jesus first is this. The liberty of a Jesus first life is unlike any other relationship. My job performance is already approved before I do the job. You don't have any other relationship like that. I, you may have a wonderful wife, but she's waiting for you to do before she judges what you did. Your employer is waiting, but because we are saved by the grace of God, God has already said, I approve of you before I even serve him. Now, you're not going to get a better kingdom than that. Amen. Somebody say amen. So that was good preaching. Hallelujah. <laughs> Secondly, a Jesus' first life is when ultimate outcomes are the priority. I'm going to put a verse up there on the screen that I'm not going to read. But it's about a guy named Elijah, a prophet named Elijah, who in a time of famine went to this lady's house asking her to make him some food. And she said, I only have enough food for my, me and my son and we're going to eat that food, and then we're probably going to die. And Elijah goes, you know, he's a good preacher, a good pastor. It was Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> so he says, I tell you what, lady, put me first. Make me food first. And he told her, if you'll make me food first, 
you'll never run out of food. Your cupboards will be full if you'll put me first. She obeyed for one simple reason. She believed God's way has a better outcome than her own way. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. She believed that putting God first was more effective than not. It's also exactly what Jesus may surprise you, but it's also exactly what Jesus had in mind when he used the metaphor of salt to compare putting him first with not putting him first. When he says salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. You're wondering why he said that. I want to tell you in a second why he said that. It is thrown out. Now, now, Jesus is saying, if you don't put me first, you're going to... What he's saying, I'll explain. He's saying, if you don't put me first, you're not going to like the outcome of your life. That's what he's saying. If you don't put me first, you're not going to like the outcome. Uh, Because the outcome in the end is going to be that you're going to feel like you were a failure. I hear that all the time with people who were successful in all kinds of ways in their life. And at the end of their life, they will say, I'm a failure. My kids don't speak to me. I'm a failure. Jesus, now, first of all, Jesus wasn't talking about sodium chloride here. Sodium chloride is table salt. He was talking about a substance that had chlorides, sodium, um, magnesium, potassium, and a little bit of, of gypsum or, or, or calcium sulfate. And it was used as fertilizer around Palestine. That salt would help the soil retain its moisture. It would kill weeds. And... And here's what you're really going to like. They would, they would cover the, all the soil with, with manure. And then they would, they would cover that manure with salt, with this, with this substance that, we, that he, Jesus called salt. And it would keep the manure from, from rotting and ruining the crops. And Jesus said, so what Jesus was saying, if you want the outcome of your life, I'm going to say it clearly. If you want the outcome of your life, that you go into crappy situations and bring grace and beauty, then put me first. (laughs) Smelly, stinky, crappy situations, like somebody's family member is in the hospital and don't know if they're going to live, and they're having to sit in their car all day because the hospital won't let them stay in the hospital because of coronavirus regulations. So they're going out and sitting in their car all day like the two people that we just found in Boston, and they're totally exhausted walking the streets of Boston. I don't know why it's less of a COVID-19 risk for them to walk the streets of Boston and sit in their car than it would for them to be sitting in the hospital. I don't know why. That's kind of crazy to me. But nevertheless, that's what they're doing, And they're in a crappy situation. They're in a stinky situation. And some people who love God at the Bethany Community Church are willing to invest time and money and resources and talent and ability to give them a place to sleep. That's what Jesus meant. You're going to like the outcome of your life if you will put Jesus first. I was so thrilled how that situation turned out. So how does this give us unsurpassed freedom? Well, we are free to be effective and reach the highest goals possible instead of being enslaved to sources that always promise, if you'll do one more thing, I'll be happy. 
If you, your employer is, is always going to be happy when you do that next sacrifice for them. Your spouse is going to be happy when you do the next thing for them. You know you are on, you're on probation with your spouse. Right? All of us are. We're on probation. How are we going to do the next thing? With God, you're not on probation. You are going to make him happy if you will just put him first. You can't lose. Finally, finally, a Jesus first life. And here's the part that may be difficult for you, but you need to understand it. But in a weird way, it may help give you some direction too. In a weird way, this may help encourage you. Because it's, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural to the way we think. And therefore, I, I'm going to say this is liberating. That, it, you need, that you know up front, it isn't going to be most people's choice. You live in a world that reminds you every day what everybody thinks about everything. Right? There's little that's more unnatural than taking the road less traveled. Listen, I thought about this the other day. If you could have pulled, I thought about Jesus, and, and, and I was thinking about, uh, I forget his name, but he wrote a book that I'm reading called The Madness of Crowds. And, and uh, I was thinking about that book, and I was thinking about the madness of crowds and the madness of mobs who scream things and get in, get in crazy. And so I, I thought about the mob that crucified Jesus, and they're all screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Hundreds of people, maybe thousands, I don't know, out there screaming, crucify him. And, and if you could pull the guy out of the crowd and, and say, let's go to Starbucks here and talk. And you pulled him aside, and you got in the quietness of the coffee shop, and you sat down, and you ask him, why are you guys want to kill this guy? He would go, well, I, I don't know, I just... Said something about I want to tear the temple down or something. I don't know. I, 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 all the people I know want him killed. <laughs> right? Right? It's just like, what? I will promise you, you wouldn't have gotten a coherent answer from the guy because he just caught, caught up with the mob. And in our current culture, we don't gather in the streets and yell at things. Well, we're doing that a little more than we used to, but most of you haven't been out on the streets yelling out things. Most of us haven't witnessed. But, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to because the modern-day version of the mob is called the opinion poll. <laughs> Crystallizing Public Opinion is a book written by Edward Bernays. Eddie Bernays invented modern-day marketing. He was uh, Sigmund Freud's uh, nephew, and he took Sigmund Freud's ideas, and he, he took the idea that Sigmund Freud had that irrational forces drive human behavior and create human public opinion. Irrational forces create public, public opinion, and he was so intrigued by that, he figured this very nefarious way to, to, to make money with it. So like, like one, one of the things he did, you're going to love this, Steve. One of the things that Eddie Bernays did was he, uh, he, he got approached by the pork industry to help him sell more pork. So he surveyed doctors and he, he worded the question in such a way 
that the doctors would all say that eating bacon every morning was good for your health. And so he created this whole survey that bacon and eggs, but you do food research, right? So is, is, is it great to eat a lot of bacon and eggs? You would say no, but, but don't say it too loud because we love bacon around here. Boy, that was good bacon yesterday. Oh, my goodness. That, that was good. Uh, but uh, but uh, so, so he created this survey. He, he created another survey. He got doctors. He surveyed doctors and got them to say that smoking a pack of cigarettes every day was good for your health. Listen, you can make opinion polls say anything you want them to say. Don Platt said there's no tyranny so despotic as that of public opinion among a free people. Would you like to get free from public opinion? How many of you would like to be free from public opinion? Well, Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your answer. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say find out the latest opinion poll. Ephesians says find out what pleases the Lord. What a freedom that would be for all of us if we would live our lives with that one ethos. The one ethos was what pleases the Lord. Matthew 7, 14, Jesus said it. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I believe Jesus said that with a broken heart. I don't believe he said that with a sense of superiority. I don't believe he said that with a sense of, oh, good, it's just us few. No, I believe he said it with a broken heart. And I'm brokenhearted to say that. I'm brokenhearted to realize that, that in my world, only a few are going to want this life. I know that. Compared to the culture, only a few. And that breaks my heart. But there's no point in you going to hell for everybody else. There's no point in it. It doesn't help anybody for you not to go the narrow way just because everybody else doesn't. I mean, I mean... I mean, Colleen, you're, you're, a, you're an exercise person and, and you're going to be doing an exercise thing with the ladies in church. D- d- does it help the world if I stay out of shape like the rest of them? Does that help the world? No. You know what helps the world is for you to go get in shape and take care of your physical body. That's the best thing you can do for the world around you. Not, not eat and act and not exercise like the most of them don't. It's the same way with the kingdom of God. And you've got to get comfortable with that. You've got to be comfortable. I'm going to tell you something. You've got to get comfortable with being outstanding. Can I say that again? I don't think you heard me. You've got to get comfortable with being outstanding. You've got to get comfortable with being good. You've got to get comfortable with being kind. You've got to get comfortable with being what many people around you are not. And at the same time, love them with all of your heart. That is the distinctive of the kingdom of God. And that's my invitation today. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom from having freedom from having what doesn't matter control what matters the most. Having freedom so much that it puts everything else in its proper place. That person, that there's a person and a thing that I want to call you to today. The person is Jesus. The thing is the kingdom of God. I'm all in. Are you?